The following sermon was delivered by Associate Pastor Sarah A. Speed in the Sanctuary of Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City. We welcome you to worship with us every Sunday, in person, or on live stream. For details, go to fapc.org. And now, here's Reverend Speed. A reading from Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it we hear, each of us in our own native language, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and the visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, In our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, But others sneered and said, They are filled with new wine. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other disciples, Brothers, what should we do? So those who welcomed his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 persons were added. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as they had need. Day by day, As they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread in their home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. Thank you. All right, kiddos, as much as we would love for you to stay and just make snow angels in these rose petals, we know that there is a very special children's church planned for you specifically. So we are going to send you off with Miss Eugenia, or you may return to your parents. But for those of you who go, we wish to send you with a blessing. Church, you can find that blessing liturgy in your bulletin. Let's send them off with a word of love. Kiddos, you ready? All right. May God be with you there. May God be with you there. 
Amen. <laughs> the rose petals, they never get old. They never get old. <laughs> Friends, it's not often that you hear a sermon that inspires 3,000 people to get baptized. I bet the personnel committee that Pentecost Sunday was calling an impromptu meeting in the narthex. Can't you picture it? Excuse me, can you get the head of trustees? Clerk, is there a quorum? Can someone confirm a quorum? I call this meeting to order. There has been a motion from the personnel committee and the worship committee we need to give this man, Peter, a raise. Can I get a second? <laughs> 3,000 people in one service, that's pretty unheard of. But that's what happened on Pentecost. The Holy Spirit moved and she moved quickly. She took up space. She made a lot of noise, the sound of a mighty rushing wind. It was so loud that a crowd couldn't help but to form around the house where the apostles were. People paused on their way to the market, wondering what is happening here. And that crowd, despite speaking different languages, they could understand each other, almost like a reverse tower of Babel, so the people stopped. And they listened to Peter as he explained the Holy Spirit's movement. And their hearts were changed. 3,000 people were baptized that day. We call it Pentecost. Don't you wish more of your days were like that? Don't you wish more of your days were interrupted by the wind of the Holy Spirit? Don't you wish more of your days were marked by quick growth and amazing miracles, don't you? Dr. Gloria Mark, a professor of informatics at the University of California, Irvine, has been studying how digital media impacts our life. In 2004, she and her team measured the average attention span of an adult in the United States and found it to be about two and a half minutes. After two and a half minutes, we get distracted and begin opening up a new tab in our brain or on our computer. Although this number is low, it doesn't entirely surprise me. I mean, I am quite guilty of putting something in the microwave that needs a full minute of cooking time only to pull it out with seven seconds left on the microwave. Why am I incapable of waiting for 60? I do not know. However, I have a hunch that it relates to Dr. Mark's research. She says the average attention span for adults in 2004 was two and a half minutes. But just this year in 2003, when they redid that research and tested again, she found that our average attention span had dropped to 47 seconds. Friends, we have been trained to want immediate results. We have been trained to grow impatient with daily tasks, with ourselves, with societal change. 
We want quick answers and quick fixes. We want our leftovers to microwave at warp speed, and we want 3,000 baptisms in one afternoon. And it can feel discouraging when life doesn't pan out like that. But what if the work of faith doesn't align with immediate results? What if Pentecost, at its core, is the exception and not the norm? Then what do we do with this day? I don't know that there's one right answer, but for me, I am drawn to what happens in the text after the wind dies down. Acts tells us that after the crowds go home, after the baptism line runs out, after Peter stops preaching, that those who were left began the work of the church. The text uses the refrain day by day. Day by day, those early Christians met in each other's homes. Day by day, they went to church. Day by day, they shared meals at table. They sold their possessions and gave their money to the community. Day by day, those early Christians responded to the amazing miracle of Pentecost by simply living faithful lives. And what amazes me about that is they could have easily thrown their hands up in the air and said, well, we can't change the world ourselves, so we'll just wait for the next batch of wind. They could have easily thrown their hands up in the air and said, well, we actually do need Jesus for this, or no use in trying to make this world a better place. We'll just wait for God to do God's thing. We'll wait for more of that fire, and we'll just let it catch other people's attention. Those early Christians could have done nothing. But instead, those first faithful few rolled up their sleeves and began living their lives as if the wind had never stopped. Those early Christians rolled up their sleeves and began living as if Jesus was right there beside them. And the results were not immediate. They didn't have 3,000 more people join on Monday. But their slow, faithful living, it did have an impact. I mean, look around you. We wouldn't be here today if those first faithful few didn't live like their faith mattered. Friends, today's scripture passage gives us two ends of the faith experience. Pentecost tells us about the mountaintop moment where 3,000 people were baptized. It was immediate and irrefutable, jaw-dropping and hopeful. And sometimes our faith has amazing days like that. But today's text also tells us what a life of faith can look like when the wind stops and the world keeps turning. For just as God was in the fire and the wind, God was also in the slow, faithful living of the early church, adding to their numbers day by day by day. So we can wish that our lives were a little bit more like Pentecost. We can wish that more of our days were marked by 
quick growth and easy answers and amazing miracles. But if I understand the text, there is power in that slow and dedicated day-by-day life of faith. And friends, I don't want to forget that. I've shared this story with our young adult group more than once, but I want to share it with the rest of you. When I was a sophomore in college, I transferred universities from a tiny liberal arts school in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, to the bustling Virginia Commonwealth University in Richmond, Virginia. My first semester, a few weeks after being there, I ended up in the hospital for an emergency appendectomy. I had to get my appendix out. So I called my parents at 5 a.m. from the ER to wake them up and let them know that they were rushing me into surgery and that I would call them back when I woke up. I remember my dad saying to me through the phone with a sleepy but suddenly very alert voice, you're going to be okay, Sarah. I think he was saying it more for him than for me. So my parents began working out flight arrangements to see who could get to me and how quickly, which was a complicated process with a younger brother at home and a grandmother to care for. And so as they planned, they waited for my call. Hours passed with no word, and so naturally they began to get anxious. After what I'm sure felt like an eternity for them, my dad said he called the hospital and he said, my daughter is in the hospital. Her name is Sarah R. She's only 19. She had an appendectomy. Can you just tell me, is she okay? It's a simple procedure, but you know how parents worry. The hospital said, I'm sorry, sir, but due to HIPAA, we cannot tell you anything. As you can probably imagine, that did not help lower my dad's paternal cortisol level. So he did the next best thing he knew to do. He Googled Presbyterian churches in Richmond, Virginia. He found the closest one to the hospital and he called the church office. And when Alec Evans, the head pastor at Second Presbyterian Church in Richmond picked up the phone, my dad said, you don't know me. But my name is Tom R., and I'm a pastor in Kansas City, and my 19-year-old, she's in the hospital. She had surgery last night, and they won't tell me how she is. If you have time, could you go check on her? I just need to know she's okay. An hour later, Alec was sitting by my hospital bed. I don't remember him being there. I must have still been asleep, but I know that my dad breathed easier when he heard Alex say, she's here, she's okay, and we're gonna keep an eye on her. Alec and his wife came back the next day to check on me. And then on the third day when I was discharged, they showed up at the front door of my grungy college apartment with a bag of groceries. They had gone to the store and purchased all sorts of microwavable food that a young college student in recovery could fix. They loaded up my refrigerator. They brought my textbooks down from the top shelf because I was too weak to lift them. They gave me their cell phone numbers and they said, call us if you need anything. 
And so do you know where I was two weeks later on Sunday morning? I was in the pews at Second Pres Richmond. I was there because Alec and Ginger Evans had made sure that I could eat. I was there because they had learned my name. I was there because those strangers had treated me like family. I was there because they had lived out their faith going out of their way to care for somebody who was sick, going out of their way to care for a stranger. And it inspired me so much that there was nowhere else I could be. And friends, I was just one person, not 3,000. But I have to believe that when we live faithful lives rooted in grace and love, it does have a ripple effect. It may not be flashy, The impact of our choices may not always be immediate or even visible to us. There may not be wind or fire, but with God's help, I believe that if we live faithful lives, then day by day, we may be able to push back the pain of this world ever so slightly and flashy or not, that is always worth it. Mother Teresa once said, I cannot change the world alone, but I can cast a stone across the water to create many ripples. That's kind of how I picture the early church in the days after Pentecost. The wind stopped, and they, so they started doing what they could do. They started going to church. They started eating together, being generous, caring for the poor. They did the slow work of faithful living, and it's how we're here today. So here's what I want us to remember on this Pentecost Sunday. In a world riddled with impatience, in a world that is hungry for quick fixes and amazing results, do not forget that living a life of faith day by day can still make a difference. As a matter of fact, the slow, faithful living we can do might be the only thing that ever really will. For we are not going to solve gun violence in our country today. And we are not going to figure out how to stop the ice caps from melting this afternoon. And the refugee crisis is still going to be a crisis by dinner time. These important issues, they don't come with quick fixes. They require tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. They require people who can push back on society's need for immediacy and dedicate resilient, day-by-day, faithful attention. So friends, may we remember when the wind stopped at Pentecost, that's when the first Christians began living out their faith. When the wind stopped, the early church got to work. So church, listen. The wind has grown quiet. It's time to get to work. May we follow in the early church's footsteps, day by day by day. Amen. Family of faith, when the wind stopped, the work of the early church began. So may you go and do the work of living faithfully day by day by day. And as you do, may you love as if love is not a scarcity. May you hope like there is a better tomorrow. 
May you live like we belong to one another, because we do. And may you trust that nothing can separate you from the love of God. In the name of the lover, the beloved, and love itself, go now in peace. We hope this sermon has been meaningful to you and given you a measure of hope, encouragement, and good news. If you would like to make a donation to support this audio ministry, please visit fapc.org give. Thank you and blessings to you on this day.